it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Third Fenway rundown of the week. You've heard from Dave Powell, Ken Rosenthal, and now just some mass livers catching you up on the Red Sox news of the week, if there is any. I'm Chris Cotillo, and in the guest host chair today is Chris Smith, longtime mass live Red Sox beat writer. To say you're a friend of the program would be underrating it as Sean McAdam flies back from Aruba today. We'll get to Aruba? He didn't even tell me he was in Aruba. Yeah, he's not just sitting there ignoring us. He's he's on the beach all week. I didn't. I mean, I'm not looking for a response on his vacation. I've only texted him like one or two times. But I mean, I didn't know he was in Aruba. He could have been in wherever the hell he lives. Yeah. Well, no. It's it's been it's been a big week for the McAdam family. Um, and you know, we've still, despite Sean's absence, been able to write some stories for the site, do three podcasts, and of course, Smitty, as you know our Red Sox insider text program. Sean usually reads the ad, so bear with me. For $4.99 a month after a 14-day free trial, you'll have exclusive access to texting the Mass Live Red Sox team, Chris Smith, myself, Sean McAdam, non-Aruba version. Um, we send out you know, text blasts if there's any news, alert you to some of the things that are coming on the site with spring training around the corner something you definitely want to get involved in. Again, the Insider Text Program. Text join to 617-751-6257. Click the link and subscribe today. So, again, another kind of slow week. Right before we started rolling, the Red Sox did make a small move signing Joe Dunand, who is A-Rod's nephew. Uh, More infield depth. That's interesting just because he's A-Rod's nephew, and that's all we'll talk about with that. Um but Chris Smith, you had a, a very interesting piece that I know took you a lot of work because I was privy to the process on the Red Sox payroll, the payroll projection, all that type of stuff. Sean and I have talked about ad nauseum this offseason, the budget, the payroll. We've all written about it the same. Um, your findings were that the Red Sox have currently about, what, 191, 192 million committed. They yeah. are going to build in about 10 million more for in-season moves incentives. So let's say they're about what? 200, 201, 202 by your estimates. Yeah. Um, and that obviously leaves a lot of money, money under both the real competitive balance tax threshold of 237 million 
and the upper level of the John Henry threshold, as I've been calling it, which is 225. However, um, we don't know that the threshold's at 225. We just know it's lower than last year and last year. That's why I called it the higher, the higher limit of the okay, John Henry okay, threshold. Gotcha, gotcha. So as you were doing this, I know you did a lot of work. You compared it. Um, you do this last year, or you do it every year, but um, what were your takeaways? Just that, like, this is probably going to come in much lower than we could have possibly anticipated during the offseason? Because that's what I think, and, and I, I think all signs are pointing to that. Well, now that I have one set, we're going to get one after every transaction, right? Like yeah. every signing. So be ready, people. I'm going to be updating this bad boy all year. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, uh, they have the money to spend, and they're not going to do it. Actually, I had a dream last night. It was probably because of the John Heyman, uh, the John Heyman video where he's insisting they're going to spend money, even though the owners are saying they're not going to spend money. and. Mm-hmm. Zenthal comes on yesterday and very bleak about what the Red Sox, and he's obviously well in the know. Um, I actually had a dream last night that they signed Jordan Montgomery. That's not going to happen, though, with what where the, you know, the payroll is and where, you know, where they want to be. Um, my guess is they want to be even, like, if it was 225 last year and they want to be below it, I mean, they'll probably want to be – not a significant amount of below it, but you know, fairly, fairly even lower than last year. It's two twenty five, and so, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, that the, there's top pitchers still on the market and Blake Snell and Montgomery, that it's just not going to happen. And I think we knew that, right? Like, I don't think we need a payroll projection to you know figure that out. I mean, you go back to, um, you know, Sean McAdams column, and you know, I don't know, it's like. November to sound, I think it was like December. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, somebody's telling him, well, he's talking to somebody about, you know, alternatives um, after they didn't get Yamamoto. And he brings up Jordan Montgomery. The person's like, they're not going after Jordan Montgomery. And then that's all we've seen all, all offseason in the reporting sense. And so, um, you know, I would be surprised right now if they went out and got, you know, another pitcher. And another outfield, and maybe Duvall, but there's they're not going to spend a lot of money on that pitcher. They're not going to spend a lot of money on that outfielder, uh, you know, because they're just not going to spend. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to you know you are estimating what that they have like twenty three, twenty four million to spend um, with the built in additions to get to two twenty five. And again, we don't necessarily think they're going to get there. Hard to envision, you know, Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell fitting under that you know i think you know we're looking at for snell probably 30 million a year more i would guess that you know montgomery's going to get a little bit more i guess the escape hatch here if they do panic and they do make one of those moves if the prices drop would be to trade kenley jansen or trade yoshida and and offload some salary but again the point that i've been trying to make is that the fact they have to do that or they in their head they have to unload kenley jansen or yoshida is pathetic you know, like they shouldn't it's have to. Real. I mean, it's super pathetic. You're you're back, you're operating like a small market team. I mean, you know, why would you unload a guy that was an all star closer for you mm-hmm. to get a starting pitcher? It's because you're an unserious ownership. That's why. Like, I, and I, I praise the ownership for what they've done over the years. I mean, they've won four World Series and right. they're Hall of uh, Famers. And you know they're they're they've been over the competitive balance tax space threshold many times. 
Um, they're operating in a different way right now. Maybe they get back to the, the, the other way in a couple of years, but right now they're not operating in the same way. And it's shocking that you would, you know, trade an all-star closer or trade even like, you know, say Chris Martin who could have been an all-star last year. Mm-hmm. Had a uh, better know, year than Kenley by a lot. To free up money to get another pitcher. It's like, you know, like a starting pitcher because you need to, it's like, well, you're, you're, you know, you're messing up one area. You're taking away from one area to, to make another area, you know, better. And that's the way that small market teams operate. And it's just surprising that this is, this is, uh, happened. I mentioned on a podcast last night, it was like, I felt like going into the off season they were going to give, you know, Breslin money to spend because they wanted to get him off on the right foot. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, after what, you know, don't immediately have people, you know, calling him Heim Bloom 2.0, which right. he did at the winter weekend, right? Was that you that mm-hmm. tweeted that one? It was. It wasn't me who screamed it, but somebody did. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you tweeted it out that it happened. Mm-hmm. And, right. Um, you know, and so I was surprised, you know, by that. Like, you know, and, and also the other point that I'd like to to make to you, uh, Catillo, is, is that the interesting line, I'll probably write about this. Uh, the interesting line, I think, that that Tom Warner said, or, or it was Sam Kennedy at the winter weekend, was is like, we'll spend when the time is right. So, like, you know, last year they won 78 games, but they went 8-19 and 19 or 9-19 and 19 during the final month, okay? Mm-hmm. And that was just because they stopped trying, right? Like... And so basically they were at 500 or above 500 for most of the year. And so they're in the wild card hunt. And so that wasn't a, like a team. If you add some players to that, you're going to be in the wild card hunt and, you know, and, and you can make the playoffs. And isn't that what every team wants to do is make the playoffs. Now you look at it and you say the worst two years of Red Sox, uh, baseball under this ownership has been 2012 and, and 2020. And they could have gone into those off seasons saying, well, we just don't have the roster. The time isn't right right now to, you know, to, to spend some money, but they went out and they, you know, signed Napoli and they signed Shane Victorino and they signed, you know, Ryan Dempster and Johnny Gomes and they built that team. They didn't, you know, necessarily spend on guys that were going to get 78 year contracts with, you know, $200 million range, but mm-hmm. they, they made some significant moves those off seasons. I mean, even if you go to 2020 to 21, I mean, they still did spend money obviously. Right. And, and you can fix something extremely quickly, right? If you're a big market team by using just some money. Like and they if, took on Ottavino's deal. It wasn't, you know, a big yeah. time thing, but and you have, I mean, you know, I know, like Kike isn't a huge player, but they spent money on Kike, you know, and he did help that team, right? He was really mm-hmm. good in the season. And so, um, you know, you look and he was the leadoff hitter for that team. So, like, if you look at it from where they were last year, they weren't really that far out of it. I mean, I applied for, uh, you know, BBWA postseason credentials at one point. Yep. Because I, didn't I have them here. They, I didn't think they were going to get in, but you, you never knew. Like, they were close. They were... And then obviously, if you look at that 78 uh, win mark, it's just because of the disaster that they had the final month. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that they they were right there. I don't know why this isn't the right time, especially when if you could get like a Montgomery and he's, 
you know, like when those other guys come up, he's going to be there in two or three years. And, you know, and so you have him when the time is right, too. I just don't understand that. Yeah, I I mean, the explanations I don't think are ever going to be satisfactory. And I don't think they really pass the smell test just in general, just because of the way they've operated. And I think that's a good segue into Justin Turner. He's the news of the week. Red Sox wise goes to the Blue Jays for a one year, $13 million deal. There's two two kind of things to talk about here. Number one, the year he had, the impact he made, and number two, him not coming back. We'll start there. I think it was pretty clear from the GM meetings. You and Sean were down there in Arizona where Breslow said, you know, we probably want to rotate that DH spot, give Alex Cora some flexibility, which, you know, if they made more significant moves, I think would have made sense. Um, and from Peter Gammon's reporting, quote, tweeting my tweet the other day, he basically said, the, they Turner's reps tried to engage the Red Sox, and they were not interested in talking about it. And clearly, they were ready to move on and open up that spot. And now, you know, barring in addition, again, Duvall remains an option, and some other guys still out there. Looks like Yoshida probably your DH most days with some of those other outfielders mixing in, which you know is a downgrade from what Turner gave you last year. But just like you know, the big market Red Sox or a big market team, the way those teams think is. Hey, this guy might not be a perfect fit, but for 13 million, that's not that much. What he brings, we'll figure it out later. You know, in 2021, you just talked about it a little bit. Kyle Schwarber was not a good fit for the roster, but he was going to be positionally, but he was going to be part of the lineup. And we saw that he was a huge part of the lineup down the stretch and into October playing first base, probably at the same level you or I could have, you know, it wasn't a clean fit. Um, It was, you know, square peg round hole to the max. And I think, you know, maybe Justin Turner would have been, but not being competitive on that guy, deciding that he's not worth even exploring. I mean, one for 13 is not going to break the bank. Um, and we saw it for a whole year. He was extremely productive. You know, like, I guess I was resigned to the fact that they were not going to re-sign him because I thought there was no chance from the very beginning of the offseason. All signs were pointing that direction. So it was just a matter of, oh, where would he go? But now that he's not on the roster that it going somewhere else to a division rival, which we can get to, it feels like there's a big hole, you know, and it feels like uh, a little bit surprising or unreasonable. They weren't even willing to play ball with him at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And you look at it and, you know, another point is, is that you can talk about, uh, you know, you, you talked about Yoshida and how the production right there, I mean, he's a good hitter Suzuki, you know, from year one to year two with the Cubs. I mean, he was right. a lot better. And we saw the first half that Yoshida gave them uh, last year. And it was really good. I mean, I remember being in, you know, Chicago uh, right after the All-Star break. And, you know, he was the most multi-hit game since, you know, consecutive uh, multi-hit game since Ted Williams or something. Mm-hmm. And yep. we were like, you know, we were talking to different players, like how unbelievable is this guy right now? And, and then he fell off. So I think he can be significantly better than last year, but he still isn't your prototypical DH. And right. if you're also rotating guys in too, and you don't have one set DH, what was the one year that they didn't have a, a set DH? It was 2017 between, you know, David Ortiz and, you know, uh, JD Martinez in 2018. And why did they go out and get JD Martinez in 2018? It was because the offense production went significantly down in 2017. If you look at Mookie Betts's worst year with the Red Sox, I mean, it was still a good year, but his numbers did drop significantly and he didn't have Ortiz in the lineup with him. And then they, and then he became the MVP 
of the AL the next year when J.D. Martinez was in the lineup. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at a significantly uh, different, you know, I mean, J.D., uh, G, uh, Justin Turner was very important. Like, you know, he's good at control, you know, controlling the strike zone, taking his walks. He's, a, you know, he hit for some power. He's a good, he's a good hitter. And if you don't have him in the lineup, and I know that, you know, they replaced Verdugo with, you know, Tyler O'Neill, but I mean, we were talking about Verdugo potentially being an all-star last year at one point. So right. he, and he know, really, really fell off worse than Yoshida. Exactly. And then you're not, so, you know, you're replacing him with a guy that's, uh, you know, 12 IL stints in his, you know, how many every year career, five years or something that he's been in the mm-hmm. league. He hasn't played, you know, more than a hundred games once or something like that. So then you're, if he gets injured, then you're going to have to rely on guys like Rafaela who, you know, have not a big sample size. And so the way I look at it is the offense is significantly worse and, uh, or, you know, worse at least than it was at this time uh, last or at the final day of the season last year. Yep. Um, and that's why you would go in and you, what you talked about, about an, an imperfect, you know, fit. Well, he may be imperfect, but, uh, you know, he'll benefit the offense greatly. And, and, um, you know, you need that. And so uh, I just, and also, as you know, in the clubhouse, I mean, like, I think Duran was one of the reasons Duran, you know, became what he became last year was because he had, you know, that support from Justin Turner. And, you know, mm-hmm. he mentioned Justin Turner many times throughout the year and how Justin, you know, made him comfortable and just the conversations that he can have around the batting cage and help people out like a J.D. Martinez help people out it's going to be a significant, I, I just don't think you can, uh, you know, sabermetrics don't uh, take into consideration a leadership role like that and what he can do. And I think that's, that's going to be a void this year. I agree totally, you know, and I think, I think it was stri- striking that, you know, we would hear, you know, players completely just volunteer without prompting, you know, JT is our unquestioned leader. JT is the leader of this team, all that stuff. And to me, like that, could not be minimized. And I think, you know, two thoughts. Talk about a lineup void. Last year, there was a lot of talk about, well, Xander's gone, JD's gone. Who's going to protect Devers? And they brought in Turner for that. Duvall had a piece of that when he was really hot. And now who protects Devers, right? Trevor Story. I, I think Trevor Story's going to have a good year. I think he's going to bounce back in a big way. I think Yoshida's okay. I think Abreu's a pretty good offensive player. But that's asking a lot of those guys that – don't have, you know, the track record, especially in Story's case in recent years, of being able to do that. You know, when you look at the lineup right now and, you know, Devers is the guy and there's really a big drop-off unless Story, you know, really exceeds expectations. Again, mine are high for him. Um, so, I, as you said, I think in a winter where the talk has all been about pitching and they don't have enough starters, they don't have enough starters, they have to have a starter, Giolito's not enough, they move sale. All of a sudden, the offense isn't as good. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a drastic difference, as you said. Yeah. Um, you know, totally agree. And I just had something that I was going to say, and I completely forgot about it because I have two kids downstairs screaming, but, um, (laughs) you know, like I, yeah, I mean, oh yeah. You know, as I made the point of JD Martinez, um, you know, helped, you know, uh, make Mookie Betts an MVP that year just by his presence in the lineup. And so Devers, you know, he was a silver slugger last year, but he did have, you know, he didn't have as good of a year as 
you know, if you look at war and all that, that he's had in the past, the worst, the worst 33 homer, hundred RBI season of all time. <laughs> it was a terrible 33 homer season. Yes. But, you know, seriously though, like you look at it and, um, you know, he did, he did have a period last year where he was, uh, you know, not walking at all so much that, you know, Cora pointed it out multiple times. And so his, you know, his strikeout numbers were high. His chase rate was higher. And so, um, you know, he was probably putting some pressure on himself at times to do more with that lineup. And and now he could be doing that, you know, even more this year with a weaker lineup. So um, I do think that they'll probably go out and get somebody, but it's not going to be somebody of real, you know, impact. And, and, and Turner could have had an impact. I think it's interesting. J.D. Martinez is still out there. Imagine him coming back and um... – you know, for all that was made about him, I think being such a big presence as kind of a hitting coach and being able to analyze swings, the more I hear, the more it seems like he really rubbed people the wrong way in the clubhouse, especially by the end. And that difference from Martinez to Turner, I think a lot of guys appreciated that and the leadership style. You know, Kike last year went on the record about this with me in spring training. Um talking about kind of taking a shot at JD I thought about you know he's down in the cage focused on himself Turner's going to be kind of more focused on the whole team I don't think Kike was alone in thinking of that making me real think that they probably don't want to bring JD Martinez back for that reason but there are some bats out there Soler to a lesser extent Duvall some of those guys I want to get to a couple well, more the things thing, though too is just, uh, yeah. you know you can't ex- like I I agree but in terms of what he did in the past to J.D. Martinez. And, and, but you can't really call a guy, and I know you're not the one, but you can't really call a guy selfish when he's having the worst year offensively of his career. He's trying to figure out what the, you know, the heck is going on with his swing. I mean, he wasn't hitting for much power at all that year. Right. Uh, his power drastically turned off, so he should have been a little selfish. <laughs> I mean, he had a great year last year and, and will be, I'm sure, rewarded here in the coming days with a free agent deal with Turner off the board. Big picture in the AL East-wise, and I touched on this with Ken yesterday, the Orioles' sale. Uh, I would file this under not good news for the Red Sox in a winter full of that, you know, because all of a sudden the Orioles, who tanked epically for five or six years, four or five years, built up that young core, Gunnar Henderson, Rushman, Holiday, even some of the pitchers, you know, Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, like they have a young core that – Probably is unbeatable in the game. And the Braves obviously have guys that are a little more established. But the Orioles, very, very legit. They won 101 games. I think they have the number one farm system still or or, or high up yeah, there. I was, just, I was just about to look that up. Um, and so you're going to have, you know, a team that already won 101 games, a farm system that is among the best in baseball, and now money to spend. I think that's terrifying for the rest of the division. Um you know, I think it's a complicated deal. Not sure when that spending's exactly going to go into place, but they'll be able to extend those guys or at least make competitive offers when Gunnar Henderson or Rushman or those guys are ready in a few years, and they can play in the free agent market. You know, I know this stat's been talked about a lot the last few days, but still astonishing to me is that since Mike Elias took over there in 2018, they have not given out a multi-year free agent deal. Like, that to me is absolutely wild. Um, and, you know, I know they... They got bit with a very bad Chris Davis deal, uh, you know, shortly before that, and maybe probably the worst deal of all time, honestly. Um, Actually, it was just Googling the Chris Davis deal because I think that was <laughs> the last time they gave out 
yeah. uh, probably nine digit uh, number. Right. And maybe, you know, one of the only times. Yeah, at the um, time, it was the most they had ever given a free agent, too. I'm sure. Well, yeah, there's no way that's changed. Um, should the Red Sox be terrified of the Baltimore Orioles moving forward, Chris? Yes. Um, you know, and you look at the ownership here and, you know, how hungry they came in and aggressive they were. And, you know, you mentioned the, you know, so they're going to spend money on the team. They're, they've already got the best, you know, young players up in the game right now and they've got you know the best farm system in the game right now or at least it's a top five i just looked at the mid-season rankings and so um you know but also you have the ability uh if you're going to spend more money to trade those guys for better players too like you know like established players um and so you you know and take on bigger contracts as well so like they could be in like dylan like Dylan Cease, for example. Yes, and they could have been in the hunt for Soto, right? Like that instead of like getting him instead of the Yankees. And how much like that was a hundred win team last year, right? The, mm-hmm. the yep, one hundred and one. What's that? I think it was one hundred and one. Yeah, and they may be in the hunt for Soto after the year, <laughs> you know, with right. new ownership. So yeah, how long does it take for that all to get complete? Do we know that? There's, uh, I've been trying to do the reading on it. Uh, there's some clauses involving Peter Angelos' eventual death that have to do with it. So I'm not sure when the spending is going to kick in. I, I mean, I think they should add a pitcher this winter regardless, you know, and, and maybe this makes them a factor for Montgomery. I'm not sure. I think bigger picture, though, if you look at the division, the Yankees are always going to be spending, you know, and I talked about this on the pod earlier, but at the end of last year, the difference between, you know, the rhetoric from the Red Sox, ah, you know, we finished him last again. We need to be better. We get it. There was a quote from Hal Steinbrenner because they missed the playoffs, but they didn't finish under 500 because they haven't finished under 500 in like my lifetime or longer. And Hal Steinbrenner said, of course, we didn't finish under 500, but that's a non-starter here. Like we wouldn't even consider that ever happening. Like he completely dismissed the possibility of, of finishing under 500 when the Red Sox have, you know, seemed they don't like it, but they seem to accept it on a handful of occasions. So the Yankees are at that level. We saw it again, you know, the Soto move and, you know, some of these free agent deals that they've given out the last few years, obviously judge, like they're never going to stop. The Orioles have all the factors we just talked about. The Blue Jays have a ton of money, you know, like they never spend it as much as they should. I mean, they have kind of in recent years, Gaussman, Springer, some of these big free agent deals, but they are a legit organization to always, you know, be afraid of. And the Rays don't spend, but they have probably the smartest front office in the game. And I always say you could bring six randoms, Sean, you, and myself, and put them in the starting lineup for the Rays, and they find a way to win 90 games because that's just what they do down there, and they turn those out. It's a tough division. There's no end in sight for it, and I think that that's a very uh, scary thing for the Red Sox, especially if there's a shift in ownership. Last thing, or ownership philosophy. Last thing I want to bring up with you Next week, you are debuting, this is an official announcement, debuting something new um, for Mass Live readers, and um, you're going to really dig into your Baseball America bag and unveil, for the first time, the Chris Smith prospect ranking. So how excited are you for this big project? Well, technically, it's not the first time. I mean, you, you know, I have done prospect rankings in the past, but this is, uh, I've gone to, I think, 25 or 30 before. Um, when was that? Was that before three, me? Pre-Catillo. 
Okay. Well, it doesn't count uh, then. I think I stopped doing it maybe around 2018. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be fun. Um, you know, it's going to, you know, prospect rankings are imperfect. I mean, you look at uh, Abreu and, you know, what he showed last year, and he looked better than, you know, he should have been, you know, he was ranked in the 20s or whatever. Or right. I don't think he was ever ranked higher than the teens or the 20s in Houston's system yep. and, you know, the Red Sox system. And now he's numbers, you know, seven uh, in the Red Sox system by a lot of these things. Like baseball and everything has him seven. Um, Sox prospects has him in the top ten. So it's like, you know, these are imperfect rankings. But, you know, I've talked a lot, uh, you know, to people – Throughout the year, I try to write as many minor league stories as possible uh, throughout the year. And um, often what I look at, um, you know, with minor leaguers, if they have trouble getting to the majors, it's, you know, high strikeout percentage you see in the minors. I mean, in walk percentage, right? Like, you know, Casas had a really good walk percentage in the minors, even though the strikeout percentage was a little bit high. But, mm-hmm. you know, he was able to control the strike zone, whereas – you know, you look at Bobby Dahlbeck and, you know, even last year when he went down to, to Worcester, it was like a 33% straight. You got to look at that. You got to look at this new guy they got yesterday, Romy Gonzalez. It's like 37, 38. So what I like to look at too with prospects is I just like to look at like, you know, walk rate, strikeout rate, how those two go together. And then also, uh, you know, I actually, I've, I think I've told you this before. I like batting average for minor leaguers because, you know, um, you know, shows the contact hitters, and that's you know, the Red Sox have put an emphasis on contact hitters, right? Recently, mm-hmm. um, you know, even this Vaughn Grissom is supposed to be a contact hitter, um, but they had they had gone to that more so at the end of Bloom, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I like to look at certain things with minor leaders that you know, beyond just who can throw the hardest and who hits the most home runs, and so yeah, it should be fun. Every year that I've known you and worked with you here, you have come up with some prospect that you're super high on that, you know, I make fun of usually. Denny Reyes is my favorite. He's now pitching overseas. You, A guy, a random guy you think is going to be unbelievably good. Ty Buttry was another early one. Reyes was going to be unbelievably good. I just thought that it was kind of crazy what he was doing in terms of his, um, you know, like never throwing a walk in the minors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I know that that obviously can change when you get to be, you know, you get up to better hitters, right? So you have yep. to be careful and you can't just throw strikes. But, you know, so, is a, you know, like if I'm covering the minor leagues, I feel everybody that's doing well deserves some like type of thing, you know, like that's not, I don't necessarily think they're going to be great when they get to the to the majors. I actually, you know, to confess this one, I mean, I wrote about Jaron Duran a million times when he was in the minor leagues, but mm-hmm. I didn't know technically how good of a player he would be when he got to the major leagues. Cause you know, if you've seen guys like, um, you know, Garen Caccini or whatever, and you yeah. know, the base percentage is insane, but you know, you could look at, you know, maybe I don't see everything. Maybe, Duran's just benefiting a lot by his speed, you know, infield singles and um, hustle doubles. Also, the the fact that um, you know defense isn't as good in the minors, and so you know they're not going to get to those balls in the outfield, or you know, so it's very difficult, I think, to to, to determine 
unless it's like a you know Marcel Meyer, you can have an idea of you know when your top six pick of what they're going to be, or uh, they ultimately sometimes don't turn out either. But it's difficult to know what a guy that was drafted what in the mid, I think he was like sixth round. Meyer, time? no, oh, Durant, sixth yes. round, something Se- six like or that. seventh, yeah. Seven? It's like it's difficult to know because they could be producing all these great stats in the minors, and it just doesn't translate when it gets to the to the big leagues. So I, you know, I try to if I see a guy that's and even though he's not, you know, the number one prospect, he's you know number twenty or thirty, uh, but he's hitting, you know, he's he's hitting and he's showing it. I'll I'll, I'll feature him during the during mm-hmm. the year. Well, um, so uh, the Denny question was the segue to this. If you were to identify one guy no one's talking about, you know, last year we actually asked Heim this question in an off-the-record session, and he said Shane Drowen, and, you know, that proved right for the first part of the year, I guess. He was a Rule 5 guy, which maybe you didn't see a year ago. Um, if you were to – who's a guy that you think, as you as we wrap here, you're going to overrate compared to maybe the rest of the industry? That's a good question. It's, it's, uh, it's, called, a, it's called a tease. I'm actually looking at, you know, like last year I looked at like Blaze Jordan and I, you know, I looked at how this guy has always been known for his power, but you know, it's incredible that he doesn't strike out much for, uh, or he doesn't strike out like a young power hitter would. And, but then I heard, then I read something at the end of the year with Keith Law where he didn't like his bat speed. And so, you know, there's many factors that go into it. So, uh, you know, I don't know everything. I don't know the bass speed of certain guys that, you know, I don't go to these things like Keith Law does. However, um, you know, just looking it over, I think uh, Chase Mydroff could, you know, be somebody that you could see. I think that he had the best on base percentage of anybody that, you know, had over what, four, 300, 400, you know, at bats in the minors last year, 408, I think his on base percentage was. And, um he is you know fairly high on some of the rankings like you know 12th 13th and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and I think he tailed off towards the end of the year but um he's a guy that's you know young and uh you know should be interesting I think that you know so so that's that's one right there that you look at and uh you know maybe like a Hunter Dobbins like who you know a pitcher who has really good stuff um, maybe they take a leap with Breslow. Okay. So like, you know, and you, you it, it should be interesting. The guys that, you know, throw hard, but have, you know, not as much control, um, you know, uh, Gonzalez and, you know, certain guys in the system, like how they improve under this new pitching infrastructure. And mm-hmm. I think that doesn't just go for the top prospects, but it goes for guys that like, Hunter Dobbins that are just right outside the pro, you know, right outside, right. say the number 10 or, you know, Richard Fitz guy where he's got, you know, extremely good control and, you know, maybe they just figure out something with him. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely guys that are in the top 30 that could major, make a major leap this year, um, just benefiting pitchers, benefiting from, you know, the new infrastructure that they have pitching wise. Chris Smith will have his prospect rankings on the site next week, all five days, I believe, and we will keep you updated there on the pod with Sean McAdam back next week and our Fenway Rundown Insider Text. Again, if you have questions from what we talked about on the pod, the coverage, general Red Sox questions, 
you know, we don't really look at Twitter as much and answer those because we do have this insider text program, $4.99 a month after a 14-day free trial. Those who have liked it, or those who have tried it have loved it, text joined at 617-751-6257. Click the link and subscribe today. I'm Chris Cotillo. That's Chris Smith. And that is the final Fenway Rundown of the Week. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.